Welcome to Season 13 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawa people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great pleasure of sharing a recent conversation that I had with Matthew Esterman. He works as the Director of Innovation and Partnerships at a local independent school. He is future focused and outward looking and was the recipient of the Teaching Fellow Combank Teacher Awards. In this interview we talked about how to have serious fun, the importance of learning management systems and the transformative power of technology and artificial intelligence. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging conversation as I did. Please enjoy. Matthew Esterman, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks so much for chatting to me today. I really um, appreciate you taking the time. Where are you? Where are you fitting in from? Um, so I live um, actually just up the road from my school, really. So so in, in near Parramatta in New South Wales. Fantastic. And uh, probably the most important question uh, for our interview: What's your coffee order for when I can finally nip over to lovely Parramatta and buy your coffee? Oh wow! Actually, it's a soy mocha, which which is basically okay. just a, a grown up hot chocolate, and that's totally fine with me. Are you? Um, is this uh, a a new sort of health kick that you're uh, drinking soy? I'm I'm trying to get into no. it. I just yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't quite do it yet. No, no, it was actually like a, one of those lactose intolerant switches things right. that I, that I did. Oh, I don't know, fifteen years ago or something, and just yeah. just on a on a whim, and then it's just so easy to say soy mocha. I've just trained myself <laughs> to say it. Um, so, and and the wonderful thing is that the place across the road from school just knows your order now, right? So, so after five years, they, you just walk up and they just say regular. Yep, that's it. Off we go. Fantastic. And um, is there a book that you have read recently? It could be in within your area of expertise in education, or it could be more broadly that has caused you to kind of stop and reconsider a few things in your life oh gee that's a good question um i've got a big book a big book list of to read right. <laughs> rather than read. we all do i think yeah. I've, yeah exactly i think i've still got some from um from my birthday in march i know we're recording in almost december but actually one that i've got sort of that are going is guy, guy claxton's what's the point of school yeah um and it's it's a bit old now but um you know it's it's just got some lovely ways of exploring some of these concepts in education always from a student point of view you know very much about student um choice and agency and and empowerment um and i guess that's the the kind of book i like i mean i'm happy to to read and do read um you know into education theory and, and practice and research and, and those sorts of things but in the end it's like well yep it it however long it takes and whatever we try it's got to make sense for the kids in front of us yeah yeah i i couldn't agree more and and matt if you um if you could have a dinner party with anybody obviously your family uh, doesn't count in the head count but who would you uh who would you love to sit down with and and share a meal with uh in education world or or, or beyond it that could, could be either either could and be either Gee, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, oh, look, someone I'd like to reconnect with would be Professor Stephen Heppel, um, mm-hmm. who's who's not not one hundred percent at the moment, but he's had a huge influence on on the way I think. Um, yeah. And I've been lucky enough to work with him on a on a project in the past, but haven't seen him for a long time. So, and I'd highly recommend for people to to have a look at his his website, if nothing else, from this podcast, Heppel.net. Um, and if you just you know Google Stephen Heppel, you'll find his work and just just what a um, a great advocate for great design in learning. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And and he's just a great laugh as well. Wonderful yes. person. 
I, I had the um, the absolute privilege of uh, interviewing him a little while ago, uh, right. and I think he, and and I'll, I'll put the link to that for those that are listening in our show notes. And he is just someone who is um, just incredibly gracious and kind and generous. And I was just some random guy from Australia that sent him an email um, many years ago, and he's just really. Um, He's really stayed in touch, um, and I know that he's not doing um, uh, so well at the moment in terms of his health, but looking forward to uh, he was actually booked in for a round two um, quite recently, but if, for obvious reasons we postponed that. But he's an incredible um, an incredible advocate for education and a real asset uh, for our profession. What, what was it like working with him? That would have been incredible. Oh, fantastic. Just, you know, try and be as much of a sponge as you can. Um but I guess it's it's people that are extremely knowledgeable in their area, look across different contexts, but have just high levels of emotional intelligence and empathy um, for young people in particular, mm-hmm. but also for teachers, you know, and, and the fact that um, people, I really have a lot of time for people like that. Like you say, generous people, um, people who are extremely busy in their in their usual roles, and usually these people have multiple roles, right? You know, they're professor of something plus director of something plus whatever. Um, and yeah, it was it was just an incredible experience to like I, I felt like it was a whole professional learning journey for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this was on the Linfield Learning Village project yeah. um, several yeah. years ago now, um, where I first met met Stephen. But look, it, it, there's a there's a what would you call it like a a network of highly intelligent and capable and passionate people around the world um, who who just share, you know, who just put stuff out into the world, who put good um, stuff out into the world but are, but are not afraid of people, um, not, not just criticising for no reason, but, but people being constructively critical of their work um, and entering into, into a conversation, you know, those people who are open, um, who, who, and it doesn't matter who you are, you know, you could be a first year out teacher or a 30 year, 40 year veteran, or, a, you know, you've got multiple letters after your name where you don't. And those people are the ones you could sit down at a conference and you wouldn't know that they're the keynote speaker. You know, you're just sitting next to them and they're just happy to strike up a conversation. And, um, and suddenly the MC comes along and says, Oh, are you ready to go on stage now? And you, you just wouldn't know. So I think that's, um, that was the vibe and the, 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 um, yeah, the feeling of collegiality and community and camaraderie that someone like Stephen uh, builds in other people, which is just great. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. Is that humility, isn't it? And I think yeah. of. I, I mean, I, I'm not going to. Um, there's a whole group of people that I'm sure we can rattle off, but someone that I that, that um, is really like that to me is is um, Professor Palsy Solberg. He always seems to have. He always seems to be doing fun things. Uh, and he always has the time to send a quick email, send a text. Yeah, and I, you know what? Yeah, that's really so, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt, okay. but I think that's that's part of it is people who reach this, not just a status, but reach a chapter or a, or a phase or a or an area in their life, professional work life, where they can have fun. You know, like they don't have to prove themselves anymore um, if they ever did. Um, but they, but they, yeah, like I love that idea of fun mm. to to think, um, you know, the, the, there's so many dominant narratives that are not fun in yeah. the world of, of education, and I think those people who come in and they they want to have some fun, but it's serious fun, you know, like in gaming they talk about serious fun and how yeah, yeah you're playing a game, but but it's actually there's some serious skill development and and character development going on as well. Um, yeah, maybe maybe that's something. Is that mm. I, I think those people who inject that bit of fun and surprise, and and because it's not just passion, you know, because you can be passionate about something that is is brutally harsh um, on on other people, but yeah, these people who genuinely just want to want to leave you, give you an experience, mm. I suppose, a, a positive experience is yeah. yeah. So, what do you think, um, Matt? That says to you in terms of um how you are how you interact with other with other sorry with other educators and how you share your expertise and how you sort of build those networks because we all want to be those people that are having fun enjoying ourselves but the reality is 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 our job is pretty tough so how do we sort of maintain that buoyancy that excitement that 
time to invest and to be present and to give back in other people. How do we how do we do that, mate? I feel like this is a bit of a counseling session for me, but I'd love to uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how we how we do that because it's um it's a bit of a juggle sometimes, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's getting um certainly in my personal experience, it does get um, I won't say harder necessarily, but different, more complex um every year with with you know the thing about what one of the many things about teaching is that it's such a complex thing that you do, right? Like it's one of the most complex social interaction interactions you can do is to go into a group have to have to work with a group of diverse people and to achieve something by the end of a fixed period of time. I mean, that's that's a pretty complex ask for anybody. Like if you ask people to go into a workplace and lead a group of adults, it's it's super complex. And then you ask and then you're doing that in a classroom. With all the things students and teachers are bringing into that space, um, all the you know the fact that we're human and we carry our our life up to that point into that room, and you mm. try and bring your professional self there, but you're still human. It's a really complex ask, and then you build around that all these layers of yep, sure, legislative and, and policy expectations, but also social expectations, you know, of of parents and of and of communities who who need you to be on your game. Um, and young people, of course, who need you to be on your game in an academic sense and and in a well-being sense as well. So it's not, yeah, it's not easy. Even, even in um, you know wonderful schools like mine, um, which which are um, and wonderful, I mean, in terms of the experience, it's it's a lovely place to work. And it's you know I I I feel like I can teach every lesson and I can work with these young people and we can do some extraordinary things and and push boundaries and um and and explore things um i don't feel hemmed in at all you know we're given um quite a lot of professional latitude to to explore different say units of work and ways of assessing and all that sort of stuff mm. um but um yeah i think i think if you're not matched to that environment you know i think that's something that people struggle with is you know i've got some mates who teach in quote unquote tough environments um but they don't that it's it's it takes a toll on them, but they love it. They thrive on it, you know. And I think it was I don't know someone like Simon um, Sinek or something. And how in, if you're in a situation that doesn't match your strengths and char- sort of your your character, um, maybe you're in a uh, you maybe you're teaching out of subject or or feel like you're out of your strength area, your area of strength as a professional, then you're spending a lot more energy. Than you yeah. would if you're if you're in that zone if if you're in a bit of state of flow or something like that, so yeah, I think um, uh, I think it's it's vastly complex and it gets it more complex every year. And part of a leader's job, I suppose, and and you know, as part of a leadership team, we're constantly talking about when we need to add something or we want to change something, how we manage that, so yeah. that we're not just overburdening people with extra stuff or additional stuff. But actually say, okay, we're going to look at this program for 2024, or we're going to shift the focus in our professional learning program to this, or the well-being program is going to shift to this, or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a replacement for something, yeah. or whether it's an addition, a genuinely an additional ask, and how yeah. we can manage that best we can. And I think that's so important, Matt. And and I, I remember um, a little while ago speaking to Professor Vivian Robinson, and she was talking about the difference mm. between change and improvement and i'd never really and and it reminds me of what you were just saying before i never really i thought of them for so many years as the same thing um and i do think in our industry we are incredibly complex industry we we change a lot of things but i think just taking the time to to ask ourselves is this change for the sake of change or is this actually going to improve and and i I just wanted to ask you matt kind of um moving on a little bit what what on earth does a director of innovation and partnerships do i mean it sounds very <laughs> it sounds very exciting um uh, but for those people that are not quite sure what that means including myself um <laughs> what does that involve and and what are some of your strategic priorities uh, in that role at uh, at your wonderful school yeah look I, I mean it means different things on different days it genuinely does um <laughs> could be so it could be anything yeah could be anything no so yeah. um really my, my role is um, you know we've got roles like um, director of teaching and learning director of well-being etc cetera, etc cetera. so my role is to kind of look at current programs and opportunities and see what we might do to improve the student experience to um 
increase opportunity for our young women that we work with um, and to think to make sure that what we're doing is still relevant to students so so innovation doesn't have to mean adding new programs all the time like what we chatted about before it, it can mean okay well here's something we offer to students it might be a co-curricular program it might be a yeah part of the well-being or teaching and learning programs or the school leadership approach or whatever it happens to be it could be it could be about facilities it could be about so as part of the master planning process it could be about um uh, the, the you know bell times or <laughs> it, it could and was for a couple of years highly about COVID and how we deal with that and my role is kind of to ask sometimes curly questions or to um to really ask you know are we working on the right assumptions what problem are we solving um and of myself as well um so yeah there's a that innovation part of it isn't necessarily just be innovative like buy virtual reality headsets full stop it's like well what yeah what problem are we solving what opportunity are we be seeking to um maximize um because if we've got the story behind it there's really great um programs and opportunities and yeah equipment and, and tools and technologies that we can deploy but i've got to say it's a, like case in point might be something like the learning management system at the school i think lms's are useful to a point but Great teachers are great teachers and, you know, they'll have just as effective a lesson or engaging a lesson sitting under a tree outside reading World War I poetry and having the effect of that than delivering a lesson via some technology and having a quiz at the end sort of thing. Um, so my job is to kind of go in and go, okay, well, what is the role of the LMS at the school? You know, my, my personal professional opinion is it gives a floor it says here's the minimum we can deliver to all our students it's a constant it's a it's a um core or focused area of delivery i suppose or, or resource availability so students can just go to that central point of truth and they know you know if they've missed a lesson or whatever then they can keep learning um i think companies put a lot more on lmss than they're actually able to do um, especially at a school size level where we just don't have the scale of say universities or whole whole you know nations of schools um, that might deploy the same technology so um, my job isn't to just promote technology use it's to actually explore technology use and how students are using it staff are using it um, parents want to see it used um, and work out the best way to do so and then the partnership side of things is more about activating those opportunities with our partners, so establishing yeah. new partnerships, and that might be in a, a written agreement um, because, say, Western Sydney University in particular is one of our major partners and they provide so many different opportunities to students. But my job is to help channel that in a way that makes sense to our processes at our end because there are so many opportunities but so many float past and no one knows about them because the right person isn't talking to the right person. So I'm kind of that person at school. And there's plenty of partnership roles out there at the moment who who are kind of the um, clearinghouse of all those opportunities um, so I try to be that for our students as well um, and once you do establish those partnerships then you can start to explore genuine co-designed experiences and opportunities and that's like where our multi-credential work has come into it as well amazing sounds um sounds really really interesting thank you so much for that um very um comprehensive uh comprehensive answer it was it sounds like it's like with all of our jobs in schools though that the title is one thing and the job description but at the end of the day you do whatever you need to do to make sure that you're providing the best learning opportunities for your students um Matt, i just wanted to take you back a little bit um what were you um what were you like at school and um did you ever envision that you would dedicate the majority of your, or spend the majority of your growing up life working in a school? Oh, far out. Um, I, I, I liked school, you know, I, I enjoyed it and I, I was okay at it. Um, and I wasn't incredibly studious. My, my sister who's older than me was very much a capital A academic student and a superstar. Um, and did extremely well at, at school and continues to do extremely well um, in, in her work as a lawyer. Um, and I, I wasn't ever a, attempting to be sort of that top, top student. Um, had, a, had a mate who ended up being ducks and things like that. I was super proud of him for that. But I guess I was 
I always saw school as, um, yeah, an opportunity to explore things and to, to see what, what I might be interested in. Um, my mum is a teacher, was a teacher for 43 years. Um, and so I always saw the back end of teaching. <laughs> I saw the marking. I saw the prep. I saw the late nights. Um, you know, we were sort of battling sometimes. Well, my sister would always beat us in terms of staying up late. <laughs> but, um, but you know, mum and I were always, um, you know, working. She, I'd, I'd say in year 12 I'd be doing my homework and assessments and she'd be working on the other side of it. Um, at the dining room table, and so I had no uh, uh, illusions about what teaching would be. But you know, that was uh, twenty years ago, twenty plus <laughs> years ago, um, where I was watching her do what she did. She was actually the the person, um, you know, who was trying not not trying to steer me away from teaching, but just saying, look, you should really explore other things. Um, I started doing an ancient, pure ancient history and archaeology degree at uni wanted to be Indiana Jones, but um, then somebody, I maintain it was my mum, but she says it wasn't, um, who said, oh, you might want to think about a teaching degree because there aren't many archaeology jobs out there. Um, so, but at the time, you know, we were being told, oh, look, you know, there'll be jobs everywhere. There'll be, you know, you've got so many opportunities. This is from university. Um, and you can, oh, I remember there was one quote from a lecturer who said, teaching is the only job where you can be doing the same thing on your first day as your last day. And I thought, um, and I thought that was, um, you know, uh, uh, both depressing and and um, yeah, yeah, interesting that they'd say that. Yeah, did um, did you have? I mean, we all seem to have that teacher that really made a difference in our lives. Um, was that the same for you? And have you ever had a chance to to go back and thank them for the impact that they had? Um, I think, look, I was lucky to have a few really good teachers um, and um, uh, both both in my school and beyond as well. Like I said, with mum being a teacher, she was a, a great role model um, of someone who just um, worked really, really hard with, with all students and um, tried to be, you know, as professional as you can be whilst also being human. Um, I think, yeah, I had, a, I had a couple of teachers at school who basically made you think differently, you know, who... who um, sort of were the ones like a, our English teacher in year 12 would uh, like he got us to sign up for a, um, a season of plays at a particular playhouse um, in Sydney and so we'd all get in the car once a month or however often it was it feels like it was every week in my memory mm. um, yeah. but we'd all pile into our you know cars for those those guys who could drive already and hop into the city so different sort of experience experience adult experience you have to kind of behave yourself you know and, and step up a little bit in terms of your own um character um so that you weren't thrown out of the venue and whatever um but just to show us what what theater was and what literature became when it was on stage and we've yeah. all done those you know your shakespeare trips and you you know yeah. you go to the local theater and get some pantomime kind of thing when you're really young but this was sort of <clears throat> the full experience of of getting yourself out there and seeing literature in the world, and so that that kind of thing really meant I was I was uh, my antenna were always up from the very start of teaching to say okay if there's an exhibition on if there's a yep yeah, sure a play but if there are um, gallery exhibitions or museum exhibitions or anything that we can get the students to that match what we're trying to get across to them and we can get them on a train or get them on a bus not necessarily a coach like actual public transport. <laughs> Um, and, and get them to experience that whole flow of, of having to get yourself somewhere, that little bit of independence. Um, yeah, that really stuck with me. So, so I've done that several times where we've had, um, you know, exhibitions that pop up and they're once off, right? Like, so that, that class I taught, say, 12 years ago at a previous school that got that particular German art exhibition that year and they smashed that, <laughs> that particular yeah. essay. Um, whereas other years just don't get that. And that's okay, you know, because yeah. that's life. So yeah. life experience, I suppose. Yeah. Matt, do you think you, um, I mean, you mentioned before that that, that teacher teaching is, is kind of all-encompassing. I'm, I'm paraphrasing you now, but um, some of your memories were sitting at the table with um, your sister studying to become a lawyer and your mum doing a marking. And do you, um, do you feel like you have balance in your role? Um, and um, I guess a follow-up question to that, because um, if you do, I'd love some tips because I don't feel like I do. Um, and also a follow-up question to that would be, um, is there an area in your life that you feel like you are currently under-investing in? It could be professionally or personally. 
Um, oh, look, I think I think those people who have found balance in in teaching during term time um, are probably thinking about end of term time, you know, and, and thinking that's where you get your balance is is you like you, you work really hard, play hard during term time, and then you get your your holidays free. But there are some people who you know prefer to be less intense during term and do work in the holidays and mm-hmm. and or you know there are various models and it's and it is it's a human personal thing for um, people in different roles as well you know the fact that i've got two classes rather than full load but i've got all these other meetings and, and um, policy development and stuff you know tonight i'll be spending some time doing some emailing and whatever like everybody does and you just kind of um i guess kind of like back, back that other question you asked me earlier like if you can find a place and a, and a space where you feel like you're achieving that you're progressing that you're not just getting the work done but that you feel that sense of achievement um for the work put in i think that's the most important thing because i'm the worst person to ask about um about you know keeping to time like if if a student emails me at 10 o'clock at night i might respond because that that works for me you know because i know i won't get to it until midday the next day so i'll just but they know that I won't respond straight away all the time. So I've I've been very clear with my students that that's my work pattern, not everybody's. And we do, in fact, have a policy at school that staff are not expected to reply within the first 24 hours of an email from anybody because if it's urgent, you call the school. So And it's mainly that parent and student, you know, um, boundary that we're trying to set. Um, yeah. and, and vast majority of the time, it's it, it works fine. I guess in... Um, in, in my own world, um, yeah, one thing I felt this year in particular was around my own professional learning and and needing to invest more in that. So I've done a lot of talks and AI stuff and running things and, <laughs> um, you know, coordinating or, or building stuff um, and working with people, but I haven't done a huge amount. Or I, I haven't done enough, I don't think, in terms of my own development this year. Um, and there's a difference, right, between your, the development you get from doing the work and from working yeah. with great people and from networking and that that professional learning of I'm going to set this goal for myself. But having said that, my role is pretty dynamic, you know, like mm-hmm. I really don't, you know, like say with the multi-credential, what do I do? It's a completely new initiative that no one else has done before. Yeah. So, yeah. so what, 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 you know. Um, what does success look like? Yeah. And what, there's no yeah. PL for it. We're doing the PL for it. So yeah, it's, yeah. Um, and AI as well. It's like, well, where, where do you go? You're kind of, we're leading it in schools um, mm. and and despite what big companies and others are saying um, schools are absolutely the, the centrifuge of all that of all that um, development and creativity mm. so um, yeah it's it's been an interesting one on, on that front um, to and, and then time gets away from you right as well and you just think look I mean I've got very supportive um, leadership um, as well but look I guess that's why I put my hand up to for the and threw my hat in the ring for the Combank Teaching Awards as well, and, and was lucky enough to to um, nab one of those, which is just incredible. It's just incredible, and um, so that I, I see as my professional development for the next twelve to eighteen months as well is right. to to really push where we can go and what we can do with that. Yeah, there's there's so much in there, Matt, and I almost think there's a there's a separate podcast episode in all of the points that you raised um i did just want to touch on a couple of things i mean there's a whole lot of noise at the moment and i am going a little bit off script so uh um i I may be formulating a question as i ask it um but there is a whole lot of noise um around artificial intelligence or ai at the moment and the impact that that will have across all sectors um what do you think are um some of the opportunities that ai presents in education um, and also some of the challenges that you think we should be aware of. And um, I just wanted to note that there's there's people all around the world listening to this and they may have a different understanding of what AI entails. Um, so, yeah, just after a couple of kind of broad ideas, where do you see this thing sitting? Is it as monstrous as people say? Should we be terrified or is it just part of something which we need to embrace as schools? Look, it's definitely going to be it is changing the world right now it's in some ways it's doing it very very quietly in some companies and some organizations and in other ways it already has changed things you know and what what people mainly are talking about at the moment when they talk about ai is generative ai so they're not talking about other models that have been around for quite some time 
um, that, that businesses and researchers and others have been using for quite some time, um, things that are still not commercially viable or released. Um, we're mainly talking about generative AI like your ChatGPT, Bing Chat, Midjourney for image generation, video generation, all this sort of stuff. And even just that, though, generation is it's it's challenging because what it's doing is it's holding up a mirror to everything we do. Stage, let's just talk about education for a sec and go, but what do you actually do in a day? What do you do in a week? What do you do in a year? And call that education. So what do we do? Well, we have syllabuses and we translate syllabuses into scopes and sequences and teaching programs. And what are those made up of? They're made up of lessons. And what are those made up of? Some sort of structure. And that structure is made up of activities and um, which we thread bits of knowledge and skills into and hopefully have a de developmental process across a period of time. And ChatGPT or something comes along and says, yeah, but kids can get all of that by asking now. Now, they could do that already through YouTube. They could already do that through other technologies. If they had parents who were experts in that area, they could ask them. If, if they had great communities of, of networks of business people, for example, they could learn how to be an entrepreneur without having to do business studies. You know what I mean? Like there's mm -hmm. there's been avenues for learning that aren't in the classroom already. But AI comes along, these platforms come along, which are on your smartphone, your internet-connected smartphone, crazy. And, say, and just say, ask me a question. And it might not be a great answer or an accurate answer per se, but it'll be pretty good, you know. And if you don't have an expert parent or an expert teacher, because we know that there are some gaps at the moment, right, across schools in Australia and, and overseas where you just do not have a specialist teacher in some areas. It's what Ethan Mollick, um, uh, uh, head of the business school at University of Pennsylvania, what he calls the best available human standard. So it's not a human, but it's the best available human standard and highly recommend everybody have a read of Ethan Mollick's post, um, one use, uh, one useful thing. I'm going to get that wrong. Um, but just look up Ethan Mollick AI and you'll find his, um, his blog. And that's the thing. It's not, you see, it's holding up this mirror and saying, yeah, but if you don't have a human there to help you, this is there. And AI is holding up that mirror and saying, okay, if what you're doing in that lesson is putting up an HSC question on the board, or projecting it or on a screen, whatever, you're breaking it down with students and you're looking at samples that are provided by NESA or by the school and you're basically training students to do that. Like when all's said and done, we'd all love students just to do the band six thing, right? Like just just mimic that um, and that's the HSC. Um, and I know that I'm boiling it down and I'll get some criticism for that. And that's totally fine because I do it. We all do it. I mean, it is about performance, not just about learning in year 11 and 12 in New South Wales. And I would say in any, in any jurisdiction at that pointy end of school, people are about performance as much as they are about learning, if not more. So, but that's where AI comes along and says, well, I can train you. If you ask me some questions, I, I can help you get to that point. And the challenge is now students have in their hand the ability to get at least a C grade without trying hmm. because they just put the question in and get a response. Now, of course, we've got to teach the ethics around that to say, well, well we're going to work out different ways of assessing so that we can check your knowledge and understanding and your, your um, skill and, and demonstrable skill, um, not just in that particular form. So we've got that. And not just from a cheating point of view, like a plagiarism point of view, that's part of it. But actually, my main worry is that Students need that support to know when to use the AI and when not to, so that they're not losing part of themselves. So yeah. they aren't um, giving up learning um, for the sake of speed. But we've got to be careful as educators to not push that narrative of performance too far so that all the students hear wow. is you must perform. Because, okay, well, if, if it's all about performance, why shouldn't I use my AI coach just like a private tutor, just like a parent, like an older sibling. Well, and that's the thing too, that like if people are worried about cheating, guys, you've had your head in the sand for decades because if kids and, and adults want to cheat, they will find ways. The whole um, essay factory industry is huge, has been huge for decades in university sector and in schools as well. And we haven't stood up on a soapbox and asked for royal commissions into the tutoring industry, but we are doing that for AI. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. So do you think, Matt, it, is this completely different to anything that we have experienced or is it more of an evolution of what we already have? And, and the reason, the only example I can think of is 
um, I use um, Grammarly to check my report comments. Um, yep. Is that um, is that cheating? Is that just using a um, a, a very um, a diluted artificial intelligence? I don't know. Like, is this a? I don't know what I'm trying to ask here. Yep. But is, are we no, but using these tools? Yeah, absolutely. Have you used Google Maps recently? Have you used Microsoft Word? <laughs> Have you used Google? I mean, we're using AI or we're we're using tools that rely on AI every single day. Um, AI is built into the weather apps that you use. It's and the, the, so yes, it's different because it's in students' hands in a way that it's never been before. So learning management systems controlled by the school. Computer rooms controlled by the school. Calculators even controlled by the school to some degree, because in a lot of cases, you have a set of those tools in the classroom and the kids can only access it then. Now, it can be 10.38 at night, the student's really struggling with a mathematical concept, and they can literally speak to chat GPT and say, hey, can you just explain the concept of parabolas to a student in year four? And they get a definition that might make sense to them that their teacher would never think to come up with just because they don't think that way. It's akin to the, the student having a tutor or multiple tutors accessible 24-7, but it's actually different in a way because there's no human interaction there. It's actually I'm actually less worried still about AI than I am about social media. And for the reason that we've seen the effect of social media in the last decade and more, and we have hopefully learned some lessons from that. And so with AI, it is a machine or a set of machines that we can hopefully manage to some degree, but also, but also, we can only manage AI within our spheres of influence. This is something I've been banging on about all year, is look, you're a teacher in a classroom, that's your sphere of influence. You're a head of department or a head of year, that's your sphere of influence. You're a head of a school or a system, that's your sphere of influence. It is not your job to decide what OpenAI is going to do next or what Microsoft is going to do next or what a government is going to do next. We can have our voices heard and we should, but that's not our job. Our job is to be that ethical professional that we always have been and always will be in the classroom and say, you know, Matthew, you, you know, this doesn't seem like your work. Can you just talk me through that, that for me? And if it happens to not be their work, then you go, okay, well, let's have a conversation about that. Just like we would if they had a tutor help them out or a parent help them out or an older sibling or they copied from Google um, results or whatever. But the fact is, it is just in the students' hands. And that is so different to all the other tech we've had. So I'm assuming then, um, and Matt, there's, look, there's been a lot of controversy um, uh, in the news about schools banning the use of mobile phones. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And how do we begin to um, even put some parameters around the, these issues? Once again, that is a whole podcast in itself. Yeah. Oh, it is. It is and a worthwhile one and, and highly recommend that um, that you do one um, because we did decide to ban phones at school, but we did that in consultation with our students. Yeah. And we designed the policy in consultation with our students. And what we kept hearing was um, that students want some, some words along the lines of they want a, a bit of an oasis away from all that. They actually want us to be the sort of, um, not nasty, but they want us to be the grumpy grown-ups who stopped them using it because they can tell their friends at other schools, guys, my school, they don't let me use it. Don't bother texting me. I'm not going to respond during the school. You know, they can use this as a bit of an excuse. And same thing with parents. Um, parents have to be the parent in this situation and say, actually, that device, it's not healthy for you to have at nighttime. It is healthy to, for you to have um, screen time locks and timers and that sort of stuff on it. Um, so there's a massive conversation to happen with parents as well. Um, as well as with students, mm, because, um, yeah, because at school we found that, so students are allowed to use it under the specific instruction of teachers for a very specific reason, but it really didn't take very long for a few confiscations to happen and then it just wasn't an issue. And and because now it's in its fourth year, I think, um, and everyone's on board with it. And it's just, you know, because I was one of the voices saying not not that we can't ban it or that I was against banning per se. I was against stupid banning. I was against, I'm against stupid bans of all sorts of things. And by stupid ban, I mean one that hasn't been consulted with the people affected. Um, and so, yeah, we did a great 
process of chatting with the student leaders at the time and um, in our review processes we'll we'll chat with the students um, about a lot of different policies and that's one of them but yeah it keeps coming back that it's a positive thing right and and so Matt how do you sort of view the role of the teacher changing over the uh, kind of the next couple of years I mean I know um, I'm very proud to work for the Department of Education in New South Wales and and I know that our role has she uh, shifted significantly uh, from even when I was in school. The whole idea that teachers are at the front of the room and, and students just sort of passively absorb this information. And thank goodness that that notion has changed. But where do you see the role of teachers going? And are they still as central as they've always been um, uh, in, in the role of learning? Um, yeah, absolutely. And because now what we can do, there was that sort of um, conversation a while back about are we the guide on the side or the sage on the stage or something else? And yeah. I don't I don't think I've ever not been one of various roles in, in the classroom. Um, so, yes, yeah, some classes are me basically delivering a lecture or, or actually now more relegating that to, say, a great YouTube speech or video or lecture or something, and then me being able to dissect that and, and deconstruct yeah, it as the guide on the side. Um, and someone, I can't remember who it was, but talks about um, being the meddler in the middle. Mm. Um, so there's that role as well. But I guess now the yeah, just that simple fact of mobile technologies, internet technolo connected technologies, um, AI tools that are available mean we, we are their guide, their coach, their support, their well-being person um, in that moment. But they've got just so many more opportunities to learn than they did even 10 years ago. Um, you know, 10 years ago, and in some schools, we still have, you know, notebook or iPad or some kind of technology program or computer rooms or whatever it is um, that mean that kind of learning only happens at school. Mm. And really, I think the, the, the like, well, why go to school? Like, like that guy Claxton, like, what's the point of school? Well, you know, we still have this innate need the vast majority of us to have to be an apprentice to somebody to to be learning in a scenario with someone who's got a bit more experience than us um, who probably has skills and abilities to be able to translate highly complex ideas and and um and concepts and skills to into ways that we understand and to know us and to be able to do it in a way that because they know us is the most effective you know because yeah. if if my students get more from going to that exhibition for a few hours than me standing in front of them clicking through pictures of those artworks, then why shouldn't, like it is actually my responsibility to try and get the students there or, you know, in terms of teaching Shakespeare or something, actually it is my responsibility to get the kids along to see Shakespeare performed as it was, mm. um, not, not just to read it from a book or to, to look at the spark notes or whatever. Um, because that's the power of being at a school and the power of being in, the, in that scenario with a group of people, you know, um, to train ourselves up to live in the world um, and to learn in the world. So, yeah, the teacher is critical to all of that. But I, but I, but absolutely, if if all a teacher does is sage on the stage, sit mm. down, be quiet, I'm going to deliver to you, I really don't see that much anymore. Um, and it's not about that kind of explicit instruction versus free range learning or whatever you know sort of completely student decided learning which i don't think exists anyway really because we've all got syllabuses and things but anyway yeah. um but but it's about shifting between those different roles and that's your professional judgment right is to say oh like we do it every single day it's like the other day i had half my u10 elective class away because there was an excursion and there was a debate or something and there was something else so i had to shift my practice to work for the students who were there we can't just say, oh, girls, we'll just cancel this lesson and I'll see you next week. Like We're not that kind of workplace, right? Um, so, so the teacher will be absolutely essential to give students a valuable experience as often as possible when they could go anywhere else and get terrible information or okay information mm. um, that, that isn't as good as school. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, Matt. And I, I think um, – we are so flexible. I mean, the amount of things that can happen in a school day are just, it's its really hard. I mean, you couldn't write this stuff in a sitcom. It, it's just quite amazing. There's evacuations, there's all of this kind of stuff. And, and it really is a um, just an incredible privilege, I think, to get to stand in front of 
a group of people and in your um your context in high school you'd stand in front of different classes um but and just conduct this orchestra and be the person that um facilitates deep inquiry or investigation or uh, questioning and, and and it really is a privilege and I think there are um just some things that uh, I mean nothing can really replace that I think we're in an industry which is a uh, uh it really is a human centered industry and that's a really good thing um but I think I do think to to layer on that though I do think teachers who use AI will be much much more effective and engaging and um able to deal with the complexities of education mm -hmm. going forwards than those who don't and i really hope that people just have a look at some of those resources that are out there connect with people like really happy to have a chat anytime mm -hmm. um, and there are some people doing wonderful online courses dr nick jackson in south australia has yeah. has put together a wonderful online course for teachers and it is um, it is in plain language straightforward and is highly valuable um, so that you can dip your toe in and then have a chat with your colleagues about it. You know, I've, I've, my main presentation this year that I've rolled out a couple of times is called Secret Cyborgs in Schools because there are all these people using AI who weren't telling anyone because they were afraid of getting in trouble. I'm mm. like, well, no, just tell people. First of all, you're not going to get in trouble because the people who would get you in trouble probably don't understand what's going on anyway. But you can present them with opportunities and, and new ways of working and, yes, efficiencies, but not just efficiencies. It's actually mm. about giving yourself that professional space and thinking and saying, imagine if we all had an assistant. Imagine if we all had an assistant who would happily go off while we're teaching and do a bit of the admin for us. Of course we'd ask for that, right? Of course yeah. it would be it'd be wonderful. And we kind of get that. It is the best available human standard for us. Um, and so I think I think that that will be the way going forwards is to say, well, the role of the teacher will change the the ability for teachers to do some of the documentary kind of work the administrative work will change um but yeah it's just so complex that um that you, you need a human to remain human in all of that you know we might have dozens of different little robots digital robots running around doing all sorts of work for us so we never have to do an excursion permission note ever again um but there still needs to be a human to know does johnny need you know does johnny should johnny go on that excursion because we know that he's got stuff going on in the background at home and that's probably not going to be the best experience for him so we'll do something special for him um that's that's a, still going to be a critical role for the teacher so um matt i do want to be respectful of your time i'm aware that it's a it's a school night um <laughs> what sort of implications do you think ai has for for teacher training because I know that my um I won't mention the universities that I went to for my teacher training but I feel like it did not prepare me for the profession um so what implications or what do what conversations do you think we need to have around how we train teachers for the future to be able to engage with some of these incredible tools well first of all I mean the tools yeah are tools so so there will only ever be assistance and extensions of the human that's that's involved so we still have to develop people mm. um and we can't relegate that responsibility to ai tools necessarily knowledge that you know will knowledge acquisition be quicker and easier um for for prackies you know and um for people who find themselves teaching out of subject area perhaps or out of their intended <laughs> area of teaching mm. um in their first couple of years i, I think that um really we need to look at an, an apprenticeship model which which was in existence when my mum went through um when she yeah. was a new teacher um it does exist in some places where you have a reduced load for the first couple of years um to to be able to work with colleagues to be able to learn the ropes there's there's very few i don't think there are any other professions where you are just thrown in a hundred percent to that job just like you've had your 30 veteran colleagues are as well where you are just in the classroom with your clients um, or you're in the space with your clients. I mean, my sister, well, you know, the, the, the superstar lawyer wasn't allowed to even talk to a client herself for the first couple of years of being a lawyer. Like she was, you know, top, literally top of the class, like university medals and things like that. But you go into a law firm, you're not allowed to talk to clients until you've proven yourself, right? Like until you've done the work and, and you're, but, but in teaching, no, no, you're you're with thirty clients straight away, <laughs> and and also their parents and and the community around you, and you're just expected to be at one hundred percent straight away. And so I think there's 
that transition into teaching, which I think we need to work on. Um, and that might come from the byproduct of using more AI is to say, well, for, for various administrative functions and other things to help schools run more effectively um, so that you are alleviating human beings from from some of that work so that people have a bit more space, a bit more time um, to be able to do some of this this more meaningful work. And that's, that's, the, that's the thing really, the whole AI conversation. It's not necessarily about replacing humans. It's replacing work that is low value with work that is high value. So rather than, um, you know, taking away everything from a teacher, you take away the things that are routine, basic, don't require much judgment or professional judgment. Yet those administrative things like report writing, you know, the first draft of reports, why can't they be done, generated? And, and there are some wonderful examples of people generating standards of reports and quality of reporting going up. Because, you know, not all of us are great writers. Not all of us are great communicators in that form. And we won't ever be because it's just not our strength. But mm. I've talked to dozens of people at all sorts of different schools, rural, city, whatever, public, private, anything. And and the quality of what we can generate across, you know, the standard of, of quality we can deliver by using some of these tools rises because, yeah. you know, everybody, Absolutely. I'm not going to name departments, but, you know, English are usually pretty schmick at writing report comments, right? But even there, they might not write in the way that the school needs to remain consistent across the whole lot. Mm -hmm. So the parent and the student reading the comments sees a consistency of feedback and, and language. So, um, yeah, I think there's some, some wonderful opportunities there to say, okay, let's pull back. We don't need to spend as many hours in a week on these things and we're going to replace it with more professional conversations, more professional learning more engagement with students one-on-one, -on -one, which we feel like we're rushing through, right, because we've got to get all this other work done. Yeah. So that's what I would hope is that new teachers and universities hop on and say, oh, okay, you know, should we really be – I remember dozens of assessment tasks at uni being about designing assessment tasks, designing PowerPoints, designing designing what like artefacts, but now I can do those with the click of a button, literally. So – what you know let's let's not spend as much time on that and more time on on high value things love that and i, I think and thank you so much matt I, I really appreciate you sort of indulging me as we um diverged a little bit into that world and and it is really really interesting um and i i'm so glad um, and so grateful for the work that you are doing in that space and also a number of the other people that you um that you mentioned I, I had the privilege of, of recording an episode with with dr nick jackson um a little while ago and he has has this incredible way of taking these really complicated complicated things and helping me as a primary school teacher understand what he's talking about uh and it seems like a really um interesting and really fascinating space and um it's exciting for the potential that it has um, within our sector um, and also for the, the potential impact that it has on the, the learning of students. Um, it's not nearly as scary as I thought it was. So thank you for, uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, Matt, I just have one final question. And like I said, I, I do want to, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but imagine that we're sitting down having a coffee uh, and uh, uh, we're, we're drinking a, uh, a soy mocha and um and i'm just about to enter the the workforce as a teacher for the first time um what short piece of advice would you give me on how i can um really be effective in this incredible profession and also how i can love my job in 10 20 30 years time just like your mum did well look one thing i'd say is you don't look too far ahead because you never yeah. like some of the best teachers i've taught with have been have come from industries you know, like they might have been a chef for 10 years or they might have done something else. So, you know, I would say, and I've jumped in and out of schools as well. So so don't look too far ahead. Don't don't think you have to lock things in for 30 years. But also don't try and solve everything. Mm. Work in your sphere of influence. Focus on what your area is. Um, like if you're particularly interested in an area of research, for example, cool, go for it. But you don't have to do that research. You don't have to become an expert in that area per se. Um, look around you, what's in your immediate area, what kind of school are you in, what kind of students do you teach, who are they, um, what do they need from you, and focus on that. You know, don't don't worry too much about um, all the other many, many, many other aspects of education and teaching and everything. Um, just do what you can. And if you're professional and you're acting ethically, 
and you're um, and you utilizing the tools at your disposal. And look, if you just if you're there for the young people, then you can't really go too wrong. That is uh, really wonderful advice. And um, Matt, I'm so grateful that you would take the time and talk to me this evening. Um, and it's also been really lovely just to reconnect um, because it would have been close to 15 years ago that I think we first met um, uh, or I first heard you speak at a teach meet. And I was just really inspired with your um, passion and also your willingness to to share professional expertise across networks. And, and back then it was teachers standing up, having a chat about what they were working on in class. Um, and now it's, you may use different mediums, but the heart behind it is still the same. Um, yep. And I'm hugely grateful, like I said, that you would chat to me um, on a school night. And my hope is that there would be teachers all over the world that would hear this um, and just be just be really inspired about the incredible work that they're doing and also where our wonderful profession uh, is going. So thanks so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast episode today. It's a privilege to get to share these conversations with you and continue to invest into our incredible profession. If you have a few moments, please do me a favor and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, or through whichever platform you're listening today. If you wouldn't mind also hitting the subscribe button and sharing it with your networks, it would really help to get the word out to as many educators as possible. There are different ways to connect in the notes below, including links to the website, the Facebook group, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. It means the world. Mm -hmm.